Hello, my name is Sam Clements, and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a Picture House podcast proudly supported by Kia, powering independent cinema. On today's edition of the show, we are joined by a whole host of Oscar nominees. We are very much in the awards corridor, folks. And recently, I went along to talk to some of the filmmakers involved in American Fiction, a wonderful new film which is in cinemas right now, very much to be enjoyed with a crowd, I have to say. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. I think you want to see it with as many people as possible. On the podcast today, we've got writer and director Cord Jefferson. You'll hear him first. And uh, this is kind of wild. It's his directorial debut, although a very experienced writer, producer, showrunner, worked on some really big shows like Watchmen and A Good Place. And uh, and yeah, his, his credits are wonderful. And, and it's kind of amazing that this is his uh, directorial debut because it's so assured. And, and uh, I mean, you'll hear in a conversation, but uh, the cast had a lot of respect uh, for what he did with this film. Uh, and then after Cord, we'll go straight to my chat with uh, Sterling K. Brown and Jeffrey Wright, uh, again, both of whom are nominated for Academy Awards. And again, very, very well-deserved. Jeffrey Wright is someone who I guess we've seen in a lot of supporting roles himself. He's often part of an ensemble, and it's so great to see him here uh, as a lead and uh, and doing such a great job. Uh, and likewise, Sterling K. Brown, uh, you know, someone who we've we've sort of seen around, but in in this film he's got quite a, a meaty role, and he is so good with Jeffrey Wright. Really enjoyed seeing them both together in this movie. So I think that's all you need from me, um, other than to say American Fiction is out now, and and I highly highly recommend seeing it at your local picture house. Definitely check it out on the big screen. Okay, first up we've got Cord Jefferson. Do enjoy and stick around for Jeffrey Wright and Sterling K. Brown right after. Can I ask what you were in for? Was it murder? You said that, not me. They ran 300,000 copies. Your books changed people's lives. They're offering $4 million for the movie rights. Yes! The dumber I behave, the richer I get. Welcome to the Picture House podcast, Cord Jefferson. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to have American fiction in our cinemas. And what is quite exciting is today is the day the film opens in yeah, the UK. February 2. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah. What's it like, I mean, like sort of being at the center of this when, when you know, the film opens and, and you see the poster on the street and in London we've got, ch- uh, you know, adverts on the tube and it's on yeah. bus shelters. That sort of yeah, stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's truly a delight. This is... You know, we made this movie with little money and little time. It was a shoestring budget, and we shot it sort of in 26 days. We were we were on the run. And so I was just hoping that we would get it out there, and, and it, it might find a, a small audience in the States, and, and, and I, I would have been absolutely happy with that. And the fact that it's gotten the momentum it's gotten, it's gotten the reception it's gotten, that, that the fact that we're opening a, a, across the Atlantic Ocean and... and and uh, in London, which is a city that I love, it, it it's, yeah, it's beyond my wildest dreams. It's truly, it's it's such an honor to be here. And I guess at this point, you've actually had a chance to talk to audiences who've seen the film. Absolutely. Uh, wh- what's that sort of been like, you know, actually? Because I, I, I guess when you make a film, a lot of it, when you're writing, it's quite a solo activity. You're making it sort of in private with the crew. Yeah. Uh, but now people are out there seeing it and talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I think that one of the things that's been nice is that the kinds of people who have, told me that they've enjoyed the film 
just run the gamut. You know, it's all kinds of people at this point. It's old people, it's young people, it's black people, it's white people, it's Asian people, it's Americans, it's English people, it's French people. Every kind of person has, has come out of the film now and told me that they found something that resonated with them. And I think that, you know, a movie that's about race, that's about identity, that's about sexuality, these are themes that I think can be kind of off-putting for people sometimes. I think people can be afraid mm. to go and see those kinds of films. I think they, they think that they might be in for a lecture or in for something that makes them feel guilty or in for something that's that's that um, might be good but not very fun. That's sort of like, I don't know that I want to go see this on a Friday night with mm. my friends. But the fact that a lot of people have gone in and come out with a smile on their faces, telling me that they had a good time, that they enjoyed themselves, they laughed a lot, that has been the, the, the you know, the, I just am incredibly grateful that that, that that has happened because that was the intention. I didn't want to make a movie for people in art house theaters in New York and L.A. and London. I wanted to make a movie that felt like it was inviting to a lot of different kinds of people. And so that has been, I've been delighted to see that. I think one of the you know like the master strokes of the film is how it handles its subject and it is it feels really inclusive it invites you in gives Thanks. you a really good time Thanks. and it leaves you with something to think about yeah exactly <laughs> exactly that's the there was Norman Lear uh, was is was sort of for a long time the king of satire in the United States and he died recently and I was listening to an interview with him and and one of the interviewers asked him do you think that satire can change people's minds and he said I don't think that satire can do that but what i think satire can do is cause people to think and in doing so they can change their own mind and so to me that has been you know i have been so thrilled to see people leave the theater and then say like i just want to go to a restaurant and talk mm -hmm. with my friends about what i've just seen and, and have a conversation i think that that is that has been really nice to see as well is that it's just you know sparked people's minds a little bit and said and given them something to chew on i think that there are movies that I go see, and look, this isn't necessarily make them bad films, but mm. there's movies that I go see, and, and then if I, uh, two minutes after I walk out of the theater, if you ask me what they were about, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you the first thing about it, right? It's sort of in one ear and out the other, and yeah. so I think giving some people something to, to marinate on and think about and, and dissect for themselves, that, is, that was the intention of the movie, and I'm happy, I'm happy that a lot of people are feeling that when they leave. Yeah, it's so nice after you know we've had screenings at our cinemas. People hang around in the foyer, just chatting, talking. I love that. Having a drink. That's a, like the sign of a, a win from from our side. Thank sure. you. Yeah, I love that. Because it sounds like when you know, because you also wrote the screenplay, you adapted uh, this story. It, was that something that was on your mind sort of way back then as well? Yeah, what, what was the most important thing for you when you were writing the story? It's a good question. Uh, the thing that I, there were sort of three tenets that I wanted to maintain in adapting erasure, personal evidence erasure, that I felt like, you know, w the first thing that I ever adapted was Watchmen, uh, or I worked, I didn't adapt it myself, I worked on the team that adapted Watchmen for HBO, and the thing that Damon Lindelof, who created that show, kept saying during the adaptation process was, you know, this needs to feel Watchmen, we don't necessarily need, we're creating a whole new world and new characters, and so, obviously we can't hew directly to the text, but what we make needs to feel like it's watching. It needs to feel related to the original text. And so that was really what I set out to do. That was a good lesson in sort of that when you at, when you adapt, you don't necessarily need to hew exactly to the text and, and, and maintain the text as is. You don't want a carbon copy of it. What's more important is that you maintain the essence and the spirit of what the, what the author was originally trying to do. And so to me, to do that, 
I needed the movie to be funny mm-hmm. because the the book is very funny. The second thing is that the the needed to be a little metatextual because Percival's writing is very frequently metatextual. And then lastly is I, it couldn't be didactic. I couldn't sort of make a movie that felt like it was spoon-feeding morality to anybody and saying this is how you should think about this. And so w- when I set out to do that, those were sort of like my main guiding principles. And so it, it made it, I wouldn't say it's, it made it, uh, the, the book, the the screenplay is very different from the book mm. not because the book i didn't think did anything wrong just because what i was setting out to do was was different from from the novel and so i think that one of the things that's clear is that the movie's much more cheerful than the novel is the novel gets pretty dark at times and and not that the movie doesn't have darkness or tragedy but as far less than the than the book and sort of like it lingers in that tragedy less than the book does and and you know beyond that yeah, it was. I just I felt so inspired and in love with the novel that I just wanted to make sure that I didn't screw it up and 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 make everybody angry who loved the book to begin with. And so one of the things that's been nice is the author of the novel, Percival Everett. He and I have become pretty close friends, and he 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 said the most gracious thing when he first saw, it, which is that the, he said the thing that I really like about it is that you took you took it and made it your own. Like this is this is a piece of art that stands on its own two feet. It's clear that you used my novel as inspiration, but you went off and, and did your own thing. And he said, and, and you should be proud of that. And so that to me is the uh, is one of the nicest compliments I've received about the film. That's a pretty huge accolade. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. The, the author sort of say something like that. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. How did you come to write this book? What really struck me was that too few books were about my people. Where are our stories? Where's our representation? Would you give us the pleasure of reading an excerpt? Yo, Sharonda, girl, you be pregnant again? If I is, Ray Ray is gonna be a real father this time around. Did you know at that point that you would also direct this or was that something that came up much later? That mm-hmm. came up, no, that came, that came up in the reading, in the writing of the script, I knew that as I said, I felt so connected to the material mm. that I knew that I was going to put a ton of myself into it, and so I felt like I felt like I knew that by the time that I was done with the script, that to then sort of give it, if somebody was like, "This is great, thanks, we're going to go see what Barry Jenkins is doing," like <laughs> that would have that would have devastated me. It would have felt like giving away a baby or an, or a limb, you know, because it would have I would have been so connected to it, and so. The more that I read the novel and the more sure that I became about wanting to write the script, the more that I started thinking, like, you have to direct this because you can't you can't finish this and give it away. It'll break your heart. And so that's what really sort of that's what really solidified that I wanted to try to direct it was that I knew that I would love the uh, I would feel so close to the script that I wouldn't couldn't bear giving it away. So you know you're sort of seeing it through to the end, and you get to exactly. you make sure what you had intentionally planned is exactly. realized that way on screen. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's incredible stuff. I think that uh, yeah, I, I love watching the film, and uh, you, you've ca- you know amazing cast, but you've also got an amazing score. And I just wanted to ask, Thanks. how did you find your composer for this? Did you sort of you know when did you start thinking about what this film would sound like? I you can't have a you can't have a. Uh, a story in which the lead character is Thelonious Monk without having a jazz score, right? <laughs> that would have been sort of like a real disservice. And so I knew very early on that I wanted to have jazz. 
and we did we sort of put in a lot of temporary jazz songs into the score as we were editing it editing it and the thing that we realized was that the movie we really needed a, a very specific and talented composer because the movie sort of like you know there's different tones very quickly right and so i think for instance a, a a perfect scene is uh, to to explore the topic is the funeral scene, right? Mm. And so the funeral scene is like it's a funeral, so it's downbeat. But then Monk reads this letter that's sort of like very warm and charming and and funny, and so all of a sudden, like this thing that should be most people would think like very dark and serious, all of a sudden has a bit of a lighter tone. And then towards the end of the funeral scene, right, you get sort of like even sort of like a bigger comedic moment, and mm. so the music really needs to follow that and sort of like underpin that. And, and so we would put in these temporary jazz songs, which would be great for like 10 seconds. Mm. But then all of a sudden the, the jazz song, the sort of movement doesn't follow the scene. And so, so for 10 seconds it's great. And then after that it's just useless and it doesn't, it doesn't sort of like, it doesn't align with anything that you're seeing on screen. And so we had to have a, a composer come in there and really just sort of move move with the scene you know it's sort of like like jazz in that way that you sort of like need to be able to riff with what's going on around you and sort of like really just uh, move as things move and 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 not be so beholden to sort of what necessarily came before like five seconds before and so Laura Cartman was the first composer that we met with and Laura I has a background in jazz piano that she studied at Juilliard and has played a lot of jazz in her life and and when we first met she just she just already had a bunch of really wonderful ideas about about where things could go and then was also just a great collaborator she we we went to her she has this great studio in her house right next to the beach Mm -hmm. and I would just go over there and lie on the floor (laughs) of her studio and it was really just trial and error and she would Mm -hmm. just play me stuff and I would say this is really good for this part, but then I think maybe this is a little too saccharine here, and and we and th- we need some music here to sort of underscore the joke here, and it was just and and I would say that, and then she would go to her piano and play a little bit and say, "What do you think about this?" And I would say, "That's great," and we'd move on, and it was just it was a lot of sort of like back and forth trial and error, and and she is just an incredible collaborator, and and I I'm really really happy with what happened with the score, and I know that she had a really difficult task in front Mm. of her this was we didn't we didn't hire her until very late in the process too so she didn't have a ton of time but yeah she's just she's a true musical genius and i'm i'm so happy that that her work is being recognized by the academy she's Mm. a uh yeah she was just a fantastic partner and and particularly for me having never directed before but also i don't know anything about music i know i know what i like and Mm. i sort of can, can say well here's what i think is good for the for the scene, but I don't know how to play music. I don't know anything about about you know the, sort of the language of music, and and so to have somebody like her really sort of be able to work with me and collaborate with me on the level that she did, it was uh, yeah, it was it was just a true honor to be to be in her orbit. Oh, well, that's really great to hear, and, and yeah, I love the score. I love drinking it in. I mean, Thank and, you. Uh, and really proud that we're playing this film in our cinemas this weekend. Thank oh. you so much. <laughs> I'm honored that you are. I love your cinemas. Cool. Well, thank you, Cord. Congratulations for your nominations as well. Thank and you. really pleased to see this you know, the film being recognized that way. Thank you um, so much. Have a good weekend. You too. Thank <laughs> cool. you Thanks so much. Man.
Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before. So that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. Welcome to the Picture House podcast. Jeffrey Wright, Sterling K. Brown, thank you so much for joining us thank today. You. Thanks for having us, uh, Sam. Thank you also for American Fiction. It's such a good film. I've been lucky to see it twice, and yeah, I, yeah. I can't wait to see it a third time. Oh, excellent. <laughs> right on, man. So, like, there's a lot going on in the film, and I think it does reward repeat viewings. But also, just hearing that amazing score again, oh, you know, seeing good. all the nuances from the performances. It's, oh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a proper film, you know. There's a lot to sink your teeth into. We're, we're actually hearing that a lot from people who have seen it, that they've gone back with parent or with a child uh, gone back with family because they wanted to experience it again in that yeah. way and so it's um yeah that's good news that's good news we're very proud of this film and i think we invested a lot of our ourselves into it passionate yeah. about it mm. think that it's an important story but think that it's also a story that can uh, can be taken in uh, in an entertaining way and so it's really gratifying to hear that um that you know that people agree with us Amen. sort of translated through the screen and it's it's resonated with audiences yes which must be quite a rewarding yes. uh, thing to do yes do you remember when the film came to each of you uh, maybe jeffrey you first yeah i uh, i received the script uh via email uh, from cord through my agents the usual suspects <laughs> they were very excited about the, about the script but there was a letter attached from him in which he described reading Percival Everett's novel Erasure and how uh, personal it seemed uh, to him. And then he further described having heard my voice in his head while even while reading the novel and that, <laughs> you know, he wanted to tell this story and that it was, uh, you know, it, 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 it was one that he felt deeply connected with and he wanted me to play this role and he had no plan B, so that was compelling. <laughs> he later, he later uh, complained a little bit that it, you know, it took me a while to get back to him. And there was a reason for that. What's we'll a while, by the way? How long? It, it was uh, maybe a couple months or so. Okay, okay. You know, maybe four, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason for that was because I was living a reality that wasn't terribly distant from the reality that Monk was living trying to deal with a void at the center of my family and trying to you know, manage the various crises that had popped up in similar ways to Monk. And when I read the script, I was really moved by that aspect of it. And I further, I really understood what that implies for a person, a creative person, the you know, sacrifices that it may ask professionally and personally. And so I was tied emotionally to that, and then that first scene I thought was was really sharply drawn, was really smart about a conversation that's being had in many places in the United States now and elsewhere, a conversation around race and context and, and history and language. Uh, I wanted to play that scene. I mm. thought it was a wonderful way to kind of mm. you know blow up the screen uh, to start this film. And so, yeah, I, I was I was all all in uh, immediately after you know. Four months after I got <laughs> <laughs> immediately. Yeah. Like Some things are worth the wait. So. Yeah. I was a little quicker for me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it wasn't four. I don't remember. 
but it, but it wasn't quite as weighted. I, I was on a plane with my wife. We were on our way to, I think, a vacation, maybe even Germany with my son for soccer camp. And with no intentions of doing anything, I was happy to be off of This Is Us and have a little bit of free time to spend mm. with family. And I read the script and I said, right, I, I have to be a part of this. Like, this is... This is something that culturally could sort of move the needle, mm. right? And change the, the perceptions uh, and the opportunities that are given to black filmmakers. I felt if it were successful. So I, I wanted to be a part of it from Jump Street. And also with regards to Cliff, it was just a different character than people have been accustomed to seeing me in. And I welcome the opportunity to sort of mess with people's expectations with regards to what they think they're going to get from a Sterling Brown performance. It's funny that you mentioned that about moving the needle because, yeah. you know, it could be that, uh, you know, we, you know we're, we're woven to the lexicon. Even American fiction, that... Because uh, <laughs> I've seen on, you know, stupid social media yeah. uh, that people have, like, kind of tagged the film relative to a story that comes up that's kind of limiting in its perception of, you know... Really? Of, yeah. yeah. Like, oh! this, is, this, is, this is straight American fiction. I yeah, love it! Yeah, so I love it! You may be on to something there. Yes, right? sir! That's the sign of success, isn't it? When you enter the lexicon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's great to hear. So, like, you know, from, from the page, it was already speaking to you. Uh, that, that's incredible. And, and, and how, how did it develop once you met Cord and you were in the same room together? Did you do sort of any, like auditions together any tests together um or was it just at the read through here we go <laughs> read through there was a read through <laughs> i missed that one. I'm, I'm very british of you sam yeah yeah, yeah. We, 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 we didn't have read through money we, yeah. we had maybe like you know a few minutes before the scene shot rehearsal money right we shot in 26 days wow. on, a, on a shall we say modest budget sure <laughs> but the script is always a starting point, mm. and the script that Cord wrote was comprehensive in its vision. The tone was clear. The, the the architecture was wonderful. There was so much information there. It was indicative of who he is as a communicator, yeah. one, mm. and it also indi indicative of uh, the potency of the story. So it all begins there. Then I met with Cord, and you know he further described his kind of cinematic. Uh, intentions mm -hmm. and and also he went about getting this film made with a lot of tenacity he said he went to over a dozen different of the powers that yep. be mm -hmm. and mostly said oh we love this script brilliant mm -hmm. script best script script we've read in you know uh, in, in years and we love Jeffrey love Jeffrey Wright he's great <laughs> we don't love him or the script that much that right. we're going to finance it yeah. but good luck to you and he but he stuck with it mm. until he found uh, MRC and T Street and Orion a woman named Alana, Alana Mayo was very on in, yeah. in her uh, interest in this film but that shows leadership mm. too and those are the from Cord that you know he he drove this thing that's what, what directing is about. Yeah. Vision, mm. communication of that vision, and leadership. And so even though he was you know, inexperienced in that regard, uh, I said, yeah, yeah, let's go on this journey together. And, uh, and, and it's brought us here to he speak would, with you right now, Sam. <laughs> he would say, a lot of people would say, I wish I worked at a place that could make this movie. Yeah. Like yeah. with regret. Yeah. And, and meaning it, but also, also recognizing that like, 
telling diverse stories means taking a chance, yeah. and they weren't necessarily willing to take that chance, right? Again, he probably had much more interaction. I, I think I met Cord on set. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I think we, we met on set. I may have met him once or twice before on carpets, etc., but really meeting him on set and saying hi and how much I appreciated what he had written and the opportunity to, to step into the world... What I found was an addendum to all the wonderful things that, that Jeffrey said. He's also very egoless. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if he didn't know something, he wasn't afraid to ask for help or, like, what suggestions you may have about something. But he's fairly clear on most things. And he gave us this wonderful space to just play. Mm -hmm. Like, there was never a point in time in which I felt as if he was going to be like, oh, maybe you shouldn't do that. I guess he liked what we were doing, by mm -hmm. and large. And so he just sort of gave us the space to play what in that way. What was the first scene we shot? Was it you leaving? Uh, we were in May. Was that the first one? <laughs> well, because it wouldn't it have been at the, the beach house. Ma yeah, I think it may have been that. Which was yeah, yeah. What a weird thing to start with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but you're right. I mean, Cord also cast a movie pretty well. You know, he he, he, he Absolutely. <laughs> so so he got and that's that doesn't just happen. Mm. That comes because one, he knows what he's looking for yeah. and he recognizes it when he sees it in another mm. in a in a performer. And he brought, you know, people together who knew what they were doing. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. You know, we met that morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we got together. Anyway. We ran through a couple of times and action. And <laughs> roll the camera. Uh, Is that yeah. quite exciting for you as performers? Like, okay, we're just doing it. Like, you know, we we've got. I it. think most of us would prefer some rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rehearsal doesn't hurt. Process is nice. You know what I mean? Like when when you hear back in the day, like Kazan would have like two weeks of rehearsal right. before they would start these films and stuff. I'm like, right. what must that have been? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, or you see like a film like what is nineteen seventeen or mm. not not everybody's gonna get that right, <laughs> but a little bit mm. goes goes a long way. <laughs> Did you have much say in sort of how your characters look? Because like both of the, your characters have got these amazing outfits throughout the film, which are you know very true to who yeah. the, 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 you know, the people are. I was growing my hair out at the time because I thought I well I had had it short for the TV show, and so I was just eager to do something different. And then Cord Sardi's like, "I'll keep the hair, please." I was like, okay, cool. Uh, and then I met with the costume designer, and he had Maybe a few, few different outfits. And then he, the outfits got less and less in terms of how much coverage there was. And I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense, too. I, I felt like Cliff being out meant that like he could express himself however he wanted to. And a little bit of skin, well, after being divorced, you know, recently divorced, people try to bait the hook. So I was like, let me let me show what I'm working with. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm mad at it. I'm mad at it. But it, Rudy Mance, our you know costume designer, yeah. um, he was wonderful. Provided you know some some great options, and then it's really what I find. Uh, I like to kind of just dial things in a bit more to what I have in my head. Cord uh, and I were pretty much on on the same page. I think Cord wanted to be. A little bit. He wanted to lean a little more 
toward his style. I wanted to lean a little bit <laughs> more toward my personal style. Which Your is styles little, are simple. There, there's overlap. There's overlap. Yeah. But, you know, I wanted for him, for Monk, to be, like, kind of a bit careless, thoughtless mm-hmm. about the shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, not a guy who's, like, really giving a lot of thought to that stuff, but just putting them on. He's, he's, his head is on to other things. Right. And uh, so yeah, there was a there was a l- lovely collaboration in that way. The glasses were like the fat last thing that I was able to find. I, I, I actually found those I think in the Macy's near Faneuil Hall oh, in yeah. Boston. <laughs> the morning before we shot, I was dodging around and I wanted something kind of owlish and found those. But as it turns out, they're very similar to chords. So there was a wonderful there's a wonderful <laughs> amount of overlap in many ways. So I mean that really is was was the mark of the collaboration that we were able to enjoy, which was a good one. Uh, which again is is central to uh, to everything we do with this filmmaking stuff. No, absolutely. I think especially when it's a smaller film like this, like all of this stuff really makes a difference. Like having someone with a vision like Cord, you know, having the ability, finding those glasses that morning, yeah. you know, all of that stuff, being on that plane, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> makes a difference. If you got, I, I think we wrap up in a second, but have you got a favorite memory from shooting? Is there sort of something that you're going to hold dear, you know, to yourselves um, from the off the back of this film? Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll talk about the bocce ball scene real quick. And I, what's interesting about it, I don't know if this is, I think we only shot it once or twice. Mm-hmm. Because it was the it was last late. scene of the day, and we had to make our day. And we shot it twice. And he's like, all right, we're done. And I was like, huh? <laughs> like, you didn't want to, like, he's like, no, we got it. And I was like, for reals? <laughs> and then when I watched the scene, I was like, we got it. it was good. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea how it was going to turn out. <laughs> That was fun. <laughs> oh, nice. uh, there was we shot uh, the beach scenes in a town called Situate, Massachusetts, about forty-five minutes south of Boston. Lovely town, you know, kind of fishing village. Really lovely. And they're actually screening the film tonight for the first time oh, in wow. the town. Very cool. Turns yeah. out one of the producers, uh, Ben Leclaire, actually grew up in Situate, yeah. which is kind of one of the reasons that we found the place. But when we'd be shooting out there, there was a young guy who would come every day to watch us. His name was Edmund. And I think most of the time his mother was there. And Edmund, I noticed him and I would go over to talk to him. He knew every bit of work that I had done. If you had gone, if you you met him, he would know everything on your resume. He was a wonderful guy. And he was just fascinated by the process. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking of him because I know I, uh, he's going to be watching the film tonight. Yeah, that's And cool. he actually sent a picture of, uh, of himself standing in front of the beach house <laughs> in a white shirt as I was in one of these pictures. Oh, man. And it's just a really lovely uh, gesture of further support, having supported us when we were filming, but support mm. now. So... He, the, that, that he might be up there My man because, of, because uh, there was such a warmth about uh, there's a warmth within our film there was a warmth about that town and what it what it lent to the film and to those scenes which yeah. are very much at the heart of the family so uh, shout out to Edmund that's what we'll we'll shout out to Edmund that's a great way to end the podcast <laughs> <laughs> thank you both so much for talking to us congratulations on the film congratulations on the nominations as well cool. thank uh, you Sam appreciate it <laughs> cool. thanks all, all right.